you know, we talk about stories. I don't uh, know if you realize it or not, but Wednesday, October 4th, um, Crossroads will be 17 years old. So it's a big miracle to me. Sometimes we like to claim credit where credit really is not due. This was a God thing from the get-go. You know, I, I was thinking about in those days that uh, my faith was probably weak in that sense. Uh, Diane and I have moved down here. Uh, we moved in December 97 and Took a place over Tyndall's and rented uh, that one uh, office over there. We spent some time up there, and uh, I think I led all the cockroaches to Jesus before I left. But uh, <laughs> nonetheless, it was a good it was a good place to be at that time. And I remember uh, meeting uh, Ron and Cindy Lucas. We they were the only folks we knew here for a while, and uh, they had connections with. Uh, the Headleys, uh, which have I'm sorry about that. I guess you just I mean the point is that people like Mark and Colleen, who God brought into our lives at it's like Steve said, started a story that, uh, that has continued. And the thing about stories, it will continue forever into eternity. I remember standing over there looking out on the square in Sullivan. And of course, like I said, I, we didn't know one, hardly anyone. And I said, man, God, you know what you're doing here? This is, uh... So you know what he did? He got us hooked up with Reed and Twyla, and we rented this place. On October 4th, 1998, first service ever, there was 139 people, which is an amazing thing even in church plants in big towns. The next Sunday, we, we I'm sorry, it was 159. It was 159 the first Sunday, and the next Sunday we went down to 139, and in about a month we were over 200, and we've not been below 200 since, but how can you explain that? It has to be a God thing. And God has brought us all together uh, in this story, and you guys are generous, and you've put up with me, and, you know, it's not easy having a lunatic for a pastor. <laughs> and I feel your pain. But uh, anyhow, I got off on a tangent there a little bit. It goes along with this message in a sense as far as stories and legacies or whatever, but... I do appreciate you guys that help. And Sunday, which next Sunday, don't come here, be at the church or at the school, South High School. We still need some greeters. Be there about 9:30. Just invite folks in, and then a few stick around, pick up communion cups and those things that's left after the service. So if I could count on you for that, I would really appreciate that. Some of you have already come forward. The question is this: This morning, when we come. We come with people. A lot of times we come with our families and we sit with our families and whatever. But you know what? 
almost, I'd say 99.9% of the time, the message is for you. God has, has brought us into this place, and at least for an hour, we're separated from the world. And hopefully, you've shut your cell phone off, uh, which I sometimes forget to do. But nonetheless, for at least an hour out of a week, God hopefully has your attention. And he always has something to say specifically to you. So the title of the message this morning is, What Kind of Legacy Are You Creating? Have you ever realized that we live simultaneously in two different worlds? Ultimately, we live in the world of nature, a world that we did not create, a world upon which all life depends, a world created by God Almighty Himself, the creator, giver, and taker of all life. But more immediately, we inhabit a human world that we have created. We've created it ourselves because our human world is a result of our own choices and actions. We live, so to speak, in a world of our own making. Two worlds simultaneously. God's world, our world. Einstein's theory of relativity, E equal mc squared, tells us that a very small amount of mass contains an almost unimaginable amount of energy. So in our world, in our human world, the world that humans create, sometimes we will say this to children or to our kids, anything is possible if you only believe, that, that, it's, that if, if you pour your life, your passion into something, that you can, you can make it happen, so to speak. Well, that brief anything is possible phrase is equivalent to Einstein's E equal mc squared occasion. As in true in the case of Einstein's equation, I suggest that Almost unimaginable power is available to us, but sometimes it's hard for us to make that, make that happen unless you use the right kind of power. That unimaginable power and energy is the Holy Spirit, whom if welcomed and allowed in our lives to guide, and it can release unimaginable power in us to transform our world into something else. And do you know why? You, you are a lot bigger influence maybe than you think you are. What does the Scripture tell us on the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus says, you will be this in this world. You'll be salt and you'll be light. Salt being flavoring. Whatever sphere of influence, whoever you're with in Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can flavor that scenario or that scene right there with those people. Or... I like the concept of light in a dark world, that we're like mirrors that we have to keep clean, that, that Christ can, can shine and use His reflection to shine off of us into a dark world, that you can bring light into any darkness if you are in Christ. That is the power that the Holy Spirit has given us. Paul said in Philippians 4.13, for I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength I need. King James says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The message says it this way, whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. So you're the only one that can answer this. Who are you this morning? Here again, you've got two choices. Are you a person who has allowed God to shape you into his image through being salt and life for him in this world? Using all this great energy and the power of God Almighty and the power of the Holy Spirit to change the world for Christ. Here's another, here's another amazing thought to me. 
The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you, every one of you. You can't deny it. It's there. You might ignore it. But as sure as I'm standing on this stage this morning, God has given us that ability through the power of the Holy Spirit, given us that power, that the same power that Christ rose from the dead is, is in you right now. Or are you this person, or perhaps you're a person who lives at the center of a world that you have created yourself. You believe that you can control your world without any help from anyone, even God himself. A self-gratifying, narcissistic world where you believe the entire universe revolves around you and you alone. In your world, you are at the center, and there's really, there might be a few people on the perimeter, but right at the center, of the, it's only you, because you're the one, you have the controls. You're working it. You're, you're the one that can call all the shots. You're the master of your own destiny. You do what you want, when you want, and nobody else is going to tell you what to do, and you're not going to answer to anybody. Which world do you live in? And here's the problem. And so I, I, I hit on this last week a little bit. Sometimes we want to live in this world only for that skin of the teeth concept, that I'm going to make it to heaven by the skin of the teeth. But then we got this other foot. We're stretched out. But we're over here in this world where I call the shots. And nobody's going to tell me what to do. And sometimes it's almost like we shake our fist at God and say, God, I love you. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to do what you tell me. Because I want to do what I want when I want, because that's the way that it is. But I hope that we all realize this morning there's consequences to our actions and our choices. And as we live, we are living, leaving a legacy. And as I go back to this all the time, because it's the stage of life I am, that I understand that. And I'm not going to be here forever. That hopefully, hopefully, a part of the spiritual part of me as that legacy will be left in people that have loved me. You know, I, I don't know, but I hope that, and, that, and that, that is my prayer. But you're leaving a legacy for those that come after you. Some of you will leave a positive legacy, and some a negative, and some no legacy at all. You didn't put any effort into it. You didn't live the life that, that God had called you to live, so when you go to the grave, that part, there might be a few funny stories or whatever, but the part that matters most, there won't be a word said because you never turned a tap to make it happen, you see. That is the sadness in that. What kind of legacy are you creating? And you with small children, what you've, God's given you this great opportunity, this this lump of molding clay, if you will, for you as parents to shape and mold into the image of Christ. That was, that's what God has placed in your hands. As followers of Christ, we are responsible for telling others and showing others and loving others to believe in Jesus. It, an eternal legacy, if you will, a legacy of souls that we bring to Jesus. It's the best thing a father can do with his children. Take them to heaven with him. He can't make them go, but nonetheless, I hope that he's lived a life that has instilled Christ in them. Let me ask you this. How many people will be in heaven because of you? How many? I know we don't take 
count coup like Native Americans or take scalps, and some people do that, and I detest it. Look at me. Look what I, it's not what you've done. It's what you've got, allowed God to do. It's not something you brag about. It's just something you are, but hopefully, because of your influence, that there'll be people in heaven because of you. Tony Campolo, Christian uh, psycho- or sociologist, once conducted a project, research project, with people over the age of 90. The interviews asked, asked these very elderly people, as you look back on your life, what do you wish that you'd done differently? Three answers emerged from a sizable majority. Number one, they wish they had risked more. Number two, they wish they had spent more time in reflection. And three, they wish they had done more to leave a legacy, something to pass on to the next generation. Jeannie Calmer, a 120-year-old, was the oldest living human being whose date, birth date could be authenticated. When asked to describe her vision to the future, for the future, she replied, very brief. When a reporter asked what she liked best about being so old, the answer, she answered wryly, well, there's no peer pressure. <laughs> I skipped a week or so on Philemon, but we're wrapping this up today, and that's what Paul was doing. He was going to a slave owner, and he was stating his case, and he was trying to put pressure on this slave owner by the name of Philemon. He was trying to put pressure on him that he would take his slave back in in a kind and gentle way, actually. Paul's life had been changed by Christ, and now he was reminded He was reminding Philemon that his life had been changed as well. Philemon 10 through 22. My plea is that you show kindness to Onesimus. We read a lot of places in Scripture, and if we really try to absorb it and meditate upon it, you sense sense the emotion that drips from these words. As Paul is writing to somebody to, to get his point across that, that he might understand what he is trying to say. I think of him as my own son because he became a believer as a result of my ministry here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been much of use to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I really wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. And I didn't want you to help, didn't want you to help because you were forced to do, but because you wanted to. Perhaps you would think of it this way. Onesimus ran away for a little while so you could have, have him back forever. He is no longer just a slave. He is now a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will learn, mean much more to you, both as a slave and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner... Give him the same welcome you would give me if I were coming. If he has harmed you in any way or stolen anything from you, charge it. Charge me for it. Paul writing this, I write this in my own handwriting. I will repay you, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. That's the subtlety in that. And by the way, brother, you'd burn in hell if it wasn't for me. That is what he's trying to say here. that, That is the point. He he wanted to make the full impact. Yes, dear brother, please do this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. 
Please keep a guest room ready for me, for I am hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. I think one of the things is that God changes in us is our legacy. I don't know about you, but I, I always tell people I was raised a heathen, and the legacy that I was creating was not a good one. It was a, it was a legacy, really, of, of insanity. And if that would have been a continued on, I don't know... I don't know what the rest of that story would have been. Probably not so good. I don't know about you. But you think right now in your life, if you had not come to Christ and you have, were still going down the path that you were before, what, what kind of legacy would you, would you be creating? God calls us to leave an everlasting legacy. It, 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 if we don't do that, the most important change in us is left undone. Is when you leave this earth, if people cannot look back at your life and in some way, shape, or form see Christ, you've left something undone. You've left out the most important part of the puzzle, if you will. Here's three ways that you can change your legacy. The first one is this. Share God's changing power with others. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Paul reiterates the fact that he led Philemon to Christ and then Onesimus, his slave, he led him to Christ and that was the legacy that he's left. But our most important legacy is not a legacy of dollars and investments in a will. Or is it just a legacy of offspring of the biological variety but it is a legacy of transformed lives and eternal legacy of people who will live eternally in heaven because of our efforts. I realize that some people more adept at witnessing and leading people to Christ than others, but I do believe that it's all our responsibility in some way, shape, or form to reach Christ. And if you are a follower of Christ, I am sure that there's a place in your heart that has a softness or a tenderness for lost people, because we all know them. I, I don't know how, I, I hope you've grasped this completely. I hope that you believe that when our heart stops, that we go somewhere, the eternal soul, the soul that God breathed breath into Adam's nostrils made us forever people. We are forever. You, the real you, will never die. It will go somewhere. And, and knowing this should help us in the fact that we know people that don't know Christ. And, and, and going back to that statement, it's not a nice statement, but they will burn in hell because they do not know Christ. You can believe that or not, but I stake my entire life upon that statement that it is absolute truth. So... As we look at people that we know are lost, that, that, should, that should, should mean something to us. And I ask these questions, or this question as well, are you doing thing, everything in your power to help them come to a saving faith in Christ? Can you point to someone in the recent past that through your efforts came to know God, came to know Christ? I think we should all be able to do that in a degree. It, it, you, maybe you didn't make the final step or lead them, 
but somehow in your love and your prayers, you were involved in them coming to a saving faith in Christ. I, I think that should be part of our lives all the time. And if it's not, I really think we need to pray about that. Because I do believe there's only people. There are people that only you can reach. You would be the only person that could get close to them. Other, they might keep others at an arm's length. But somehow about you, that God has allowed that, that you can get in next to them and get close to them and at least say a few words, have an impact to some degree of, of pushing them toward the Lord. We change our legacy by sharing God's changing power with others and secondly, by believing God can and does change others. Formerly, he was useful, useless to you in verse 11. But now he has become useful both to you and me. There was a teacher in mathematics said what a difference it made in his life when one day he realized and the light went on, I need to teach children instead of teaching mathematics. And I quote his statement. I had a great feeling of relief when I began to understand that a youngster needs more than just subject matter. I know mathematics well and I teach it well. I used to think that was all I needed to do. Now I teach children, not math. I accept the fact that I can only succeed partially with some of them. When I don't have to know all the answers, I seem to have more answers than when I tried to be the expert. The youngster who really made me understand this was Edward. I asked him one day why he thought he was doing so much better than last year. He gave meaning to my whole new orientation. He said, it's because I like myself now when I'm with you. End of quote. Paul understand that God could change people. Paul was a murderer. He killed Christians. He had them beaten, stoned, and all manner of things. And he was thinking in his mind, if God can change me, he can change, he can change anybody. And you and I are that way. We once were useless to, useless to God in the kingdom. We didn't even know, any, he didn't, we didn't know anything about it. But when we bowed our hearts to Christ, we became useful. So we went from useless to useful. So that is the point that you are useful to God. God is asking you to tell your unique story and how God changed your life. You have a story nobody else has. If we had the time in here today for everybody to stand and tell our stories, they would all be different. They might some, there might some be similar, but they'd be totally different of how God in his great mercy broke through our insanity sometimes and reached in and grabbed our hearts and changed them. We, we all have a different story. That is your gift. That is the story that God has given you to share to the world. And that's the story that we need to be telling people. And we see people who, let's be honest, we have known people that we thought were unredeemable. That they're too far gone. We talked about that Wednesday morning in men's group. This person is off the chart. He's off the scale or she. They cannot be redeemed. I don't believe that. I, I don't believe God ever gives up on anybody that we, as long as we draw breath, we are redeemable. And you might be one of those people. I think someday maybe I am. We need to share God's changing power with others. We need to believe that God can and does change others regardless. And then thirdly, we need to take a chance on others. 
And that's a big leap for us sometimes, especially if you've written somebody off. You're not going to see them. You're not going to talk to them ever again because they are detestable. But God changes your mind. He comes to you one day and says, you need to see per- this person. You need to text them, whatever. Formerly, in verse 11, it says, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. In the words of British play- playwright George Bernard Shaw, and I quote, this is the true joy in life, being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one. Being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little cloud of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy, end of quote. To have a changed legacy, you've got to be willing to put yourself on the line for others. Paul did that as well. He had some problems with folks. First Timothy 4, 9 and 10. He says, do your best to come to me quickly. Speaking to Timothy for Demas because he loved this world, has deserted me, and gone to Thessalonica. Do you have a definition of what it means for somebody to stick a knife in your heart? I do. And maybe you have the same definition as me. It's somebody that you've sacrificed for, that you've poured your life into, given time, maybe even money, and a spark of life came in their eyes and they accepted Christ and you became brothers or sisters. And then like Demas, they heard the world's call. They couldn't, the sirens call. They couldn't put their fingers in their ears or their spiritual ears and stop it because it was too strong. And gradually and sometimes instantaneously, they jumped from the kingdom back into the world with both feet and dove head long into the mud and wallowed there and looked you in the eye and says, I want nothing more to do with God or the church or you. That's what Paul is talking about. And I'll tell you what, people that I love, that when you dive into ministry and you become a witness for Christ, this will happen to you. It'll kill you, but it's going to happen. It's worth the effort. It is worth being vulnerable for the ones that stay the course and not the ones like the seeds planted on the stony ground that died, but the ones that took root. But I'm just saying that that's part of, of, of what I'm talking about here. It is, a, it is a risky business giving your heart to others. But praise God for when that pays off, actually. It's actually healthy to leave a legacy. So says a group of psychologists who reported a couple years back on a result of a research project they conducted. These researchers tracked 423 retired couples over the course of five years. And over that time, they asked their subject about their lives, how much they uh, typically took from life, and how much they gave back. When the five years were ended, the researchers discovered that those who had been consistently generous in giving others of their time and money were half as likely to have died. So this surprised the research team. They had long known the older, older people who socialized with others are likely to live longer, and so they assumed that in the case of people who frequently gave of themselves, it was, supporting, it was the supportive social contact that made the difference. Not so. In the words of UCLA psychologist Shelley Taylor, it's always been assumed that the benefit comes from support people get. This turns that assumption upside down. It's path-breaking because it suggests giving day-to-day help can protect 
the helper's health. But that's not the reason we take a risk for others. The reason we do it is because of what Jesus did for us and the risk that he took for us as well. There's a story about an English author who lived in London. You might know this guy's name when you see his face. Wrote novels, made money, but he, had, he, he got a writer's block, and he, he couldn't put anything down on paper. And it was really starting to affect him and his family, and they, they, there wasn't any money coming in. So he was raised poor, and he was really concerned that his family would have to go back out on the street. So he took to walking the streets of London, and there he began to notice things. In particular, he noticed the urban squalor, the poor houses, the children's working long hours in factory, factory workers, street vendors, and chimney sweeps. And his thought turned to human greed and the terrible damage a self-centered outlook on life can inflict on many. At long last, this story started to form in his mind. It emerged, and he started to put words on paper. The latest novel of Charles Dickens proved to be not nearly as long as most of his others, but it was destined to become his best-loved work. The little novel called A Christmas Carol tells of the story of an old miser named Ebenezer Scrooge, who discovered just before it was too late for him what a joy it is to leave a legacy. Man, oh man, I, I've watched that I don't know how many times. It amazes me to see Scrooge change overnight. Of course, the spirits came to visit him, kind of straightened him out a little bit, but nonetheless, the change in his countenance when he went to Bob Cratchit's house and they were all afraid of him, I think, and they, he took that big turkey and gave him a raise and on and on and on. His legacy changed at that moment. And, and I pray that's not us. That in the last moment, in the last few years of our life, we've decided to get with the program, but I hope that you have started early, actually. God is calling us to leave a legacy that lasts forever. I want to close with this clip. It's a poignant clip from the Emperor's Club. I want you to really listen close. Let's watch. Your name, sir? Uh, Robert Brewster, sir. Very good. And you? Deepak Mehta, sir. And your name? Eugene Field, sir. Field. And you? Martin Bly, sir. Is that a question? Uh, no, sir. Uh, my name is Martin Bly, sir. Very good. You all know your own names. question is, do I? Mr. Blythe. Me, sir? Yes, you. Now, Mr. Field to your right, or Mr. Gray to your left, or Mr. Diebel behind you. You, sir. Will you do me a favor and walk to the back of this classroom and read for us the plaque which you see hanging over that door? I'm sh sh I'm Shutruk Nahunte. Very good. A little louder, please. Yes, sir. Uh, I am Shutruk Nahunte, king of Anshans and Susa, sovereign of the land of Alam. I destroyed Sipar and took the stela of Naran. Steel? Took the steel of Naran Sin and brought it back to Alam, where I erected it as an offering to my god. Shutruk Nahunte, 1158 BC. Well done, Mr. Blythe. Thank you. You may be seated. Shutruk Nahunti. Is anyone familiar with this fellow? Texts are permissible. 
But you won't find it there. Shutruk Nahunte, king, sovereign of the land of Elam, destroyer of Sippar. Behold, his accomplishments cannot be found in any history book. Why? Because great ambition and conquest without contribution is without significance. What will your contribution be? How will history remember you? Shutruk Nahunte, utterly forgotten. Unlike the great men you see around you, Aristotle, Caesar, Augustus, Plato, Cicero, Socrates, giants of history, men of profound character, men whose accomplishments surpass their own lifetime and survive even into our own. Their story is our story. Shutruk Nahuntag cannot be found in history books, even though he was a ruler and a conqueror. Why? Great ambition and conquest without contribution is without significance. What will your contribution be in your spiritual legacy? Shutruk Nahute evidently did not live in God's world. He lived in his own. And regardless of what he did on this earth, his conquests and his victories, he was absolutely forgotten. I hope that's not you and I this morning, beloved. What will you be remembered for in your family, in your community, when we're long gone? Will someone stand at the funeral of your loved ones and say your name and say this person's in heaven because of this person? I hope so. I came to Christ through a little track, <laughs> steps to peace with God. And I realize, my friends, that of all the things that God asks us to do, this is one of the most difficult. Sometimes people will say, they will raise their hand and say, I do not want to hear about God. But when that happens, I have one of these and I say, here's the deal. I cannot shove this down your throat. I cannot take Jesus and physically cram him into your heart. But if on that day, if you ever want to know how to know Christ, here's how. And I will lay that down in their presence somewhere. So here it is. Here's the door to eternal life. I pray, my friends, that you and I are in our way, leaving a legacy to those behind us, that they will know without a shadow of a doubt that the heart of Christ beats in your heart. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. And all the blessings you do bestow on us, Lord, I think a lot of times we're not worthy of it. But nonetheless, you love us so much, you continue to do it. So right now, Father, as we, as we think about 
what you've said to each one of us this morning, that it might make a difference. That it might make a difference how we treat people. That it might make a difference of what we say and how we act around folks. That's my prayer, Lord, that in some way this morning you have touched us, that you've gripped our hearts and made us realize, Lord, of how important we are in the kingdom. We're just not somebody that comes and sits on Sundays and has a donut and coffee and laughs and talks to people and then moves on. We are part of a giant story. And you are putting this story together. And we pray, God, through the likes of us that you use us to introduce other people into this story, that they will be involved in an eternal story. Father, if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, that they might cry out to you. They can do that where they sit. They confess their sins and ask you to come into their life and repent and say, we're going to change and we're going to follow you, Lord. And then as an outward sign of an inward change, I'm going to be baptized. I want to show the world I belong to Jesus. Father, if not, if they want to come down, this altar's open, that there's always somebody here that loves them, that will pray with them and show them what to do. We love you, God. We give you praise and glory for who you are, for we ask in the name of Christ.